tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. And welcome to Tinfoil Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to, yeah. There we go. Joining me as always, my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend, Xavier Guerrero. XG, how are you? I can tell that was a bad one. No, that was great, XG. You're killing it. You're on fire. You're really finding yourself as a man right now. Congratulations. <laughs> Xavier, uh, we're down the street. You and uh, Side Dick got in a little fight, a little punch fight. Um, Actually, yeah, if you watched the last one, I lost a little bet. He got to 4,000 followers, and uh, I had to get punched in the stomach. Uh, that's all I'm going to say, episode 175. How many followers do you have, XG? 10,000. Whoa, were you big-leaguing him? They, uh, oh, hey, what do yeah. you want, Punto? I got 10,000, yeah. you scumbag. I told his bitch ass he couldn't get a 4K. He got a 4K, and I uh, had to pay up. <laughs> So uh, go check out George Perez stories. Uh, two of my, fa- three of my favorite. Pe- is it three people on the show? Yeah, me, Side Dick, and George. Yeah, yeah. All right, check that out, Johnny. And you know him to love him. He is a podcast god now. <laughs> a podcast god. The people are talking, especially the smoke shows. The man, the myth, the legend, Johnny Woodard. Everybody. What's what's going on, Sam? Johnny, uh, you love America. Look how much you love I do. America. If you're listening, you really I have a flowing America, I have a flowing American flag in the background behind me because I Johnny, love America. Johnny Broken Sim is breaking Ooh. records, huh? Yeah, it's doing really well. It's, it, it's better every week, you know, or every episode, I should say. Uh we uh this last one um has a lot of uh a lot of funny Sam moments in it, I think. I think you were really killing this last episode, so if you want to hear Sam Thank Kill. you, Johnny. Thank you. you. Go I YouTube. don't have a feeling I look really dumb in this. No, you. No, I'm, I'm serious. No. You were just really good in it. Uh, YouTube.com slash Sam Tripoli Comedy. Uh, if you yeah, watch it. Uh, if you're watching this show, please subscribe to this YouTube. Just hit the subscribe button. And if you want to check out the comedy of a broken sim, uh, just go broken simulation. Just go to uh, YouTube.com slash Sam Tripoli Comedy. Now. Some of you guys think this is all shadow banned. It's real simple. Just go to brokensimsimulation.com. That's brokensimulation.com. It's all right there. Guys, the Patreon's on fire. I'm doing daily doses. If you want to support the show, support me, support my twins so they don't have to live on the streets, go to uh, patreon.com slash tinfoil hat gotta pay that ac gotta pay that ac bill right dude you guys don't have any clue how much (laughs) ac is when you have two babies and the mom won't let you turn it off i'm telling you i am uh taking a beating please help me okay (laughs) Uh, you guys don't like patreon go to subscribestar.com slash tinfoil hat and you get everything there that you get on the patreon without having to put up with patreon's bs 
Uh, if you love spirituality, it's really something I'm getting into. Man, it really helps me deal with these times. I have a spiritual podcast. It's on Rockfin, R-O-K-F-I-N.com. You could check that out there. And uh, it's it, it, Rockfin slash zero. It's called Zero with Sam Tripoli. I put up two episodes a week. Go check that out. So t-shirts are great. Uh, did we talk about t-shirts yet? Nope. Tinfoilhatt-shirts.com. Everything. We got We got. Uh, Once Upon a Time on This Flat Earth, Alien Shot JFK. Uh, what else we got? We, we got the, the homie jo- Sam. We the homie Sam. We need the, we the homie Sam. Yeah, we need free Sam Tripoli. Go oh, to that. Man. That's a great way because you know all these tech companies. Yeah. I'm on their uh, shit list, and they're always taking me down. That's tinfoilhatt-shirts.com. Uh, I will be live, everybody live, live in at Appleton, Wisconsin at the Skyline Comedy Club. Uh, just go to skylinecomedy.com and you'll see me. That will be September 10th through the 12th. Me headlining with my good friend, Zane Halberg. He opens up. Uh, Zane does a lot of work in the uh, recovery community and he gets a lot of those gigs. So I like to help him out because he's helping out people in recovery. So I throw him some gigs on the road. Uh, come, I have t-shirts there, and watch me do an hour of power, everybody. Uh, t- what's that? Anybody else? Did I miss anything? Anybody? No, no I, we, have a, we have a merch page for Broken Sim now, if you want to see that. Just a few t-shirts up there, bsmerch.com. Other than that, uh, Johnny Woodard on Twitter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Johnny Woodard yeah. on Twitter. Sam doesn't uh, like that shirt, the peach what? on the pavement emoji shirt. Yeah, he doesn't I, like I, that I, one. I, It's for the kids. It's not for me. It's for the kids. Okay? <laughs> the kids like the emoji shirts. I like I, – I have other ideas, but that's fine. If you love it, buy it, support Johnny, support my twins, okay? That's Sam's favorite, Mr. Pope. That is, but uh, we just need to do – but I just like that shirt right there because you know I am the father. Uh, guys, today's show is brought to you by good friends at Cushy Dreams Smokable CBD. That's right. Smoke your CBD. Cushy Dreams specializes in extraordinary CBD-rich hemp flower and pre-rolled CBD joints, okay? Cushy Dreams offers a full line of premium smokable CBDs. It is cannabis that is shipped directly to you, and it is legal in all 50 states. Join the men and women who are sick of vapes and gummies and want to smoke their CBD. That's great for you because, listen, I'm somebody, I'm in recovery. This doesn't get you high. It gives you all the benefits of CBD without getting you high. Looks like high-quality marijuana, feels like high-quality marijuana, and tastes like high-quality marijuana. Uh, health benefits of CBD without getting high, man. It's got 0.3% THC. Uh, the, it's attention to the details noticeable in every beautiful flower. Each plant is hand-selected by a team of experts, cannabis, flower, uh, experts. Okay. The reason I like this is because I'm not really a near beer guy. I don't, I'm like, who drinks beer for the taste? Yeah, uh, that's so a real alcoholic. Okay. You know, my buddy, Matt Egger has a great bit, but it's like, if you see a guy drinking near beer, just know he's been through some stuff. Okay. <laughs> but CBD smokable CBD is really great. Cause you don't want to get high, but you want the benefits of it, which is like helping you with your joints, all the different, what, what are some of the, be- why do people get high? Why do people smoke weed? They want it like it helps with pain, suffering, all that stuff. Now you don't have to get high, but you get all that stuff, calm you down, all that stuff. That's what's great about CBD. I, I don't want to get high because I love recovery, but I would love the benefits of CBD. Uh, it is done in an independent lab, 
all the testing is shown to show compliance and purity. Each, each flower is hand trimmed, never machine trimmed. Each batch is slow cured for two to four weeks to guarantee the maximum freshness and preserve flavor and cannabinoid. Cush Dreams, Cushy Dreams has CBD flour in a pre-rolled joints. Okay. So now what you're gonna do, just go to Cushy Dreams. That's K-U-S-C-H-Y. Cushydreams.com. Check out the promo code TINFOIL for 15% off your first order. It's order. It's a smokable CBD for you guys. We want to thank Cushy Dreams for being a wonderful sponsor of Tinfoil Hat. Guys, uh, I'm very excited to have our next guest on. Uh, you've seen him on Alex Jones. He's an author. He's a filmmaker. He's a human rights activist, and we don't have enough of those. Uh, the mo- I, Dude, I, I love human rights activists because it's a very selfish thing to do. You know, uh, selfless. Damn, I used the wrong, wrong word there. Selfless thing to do. Uh, please welcome. Uh, I, he was on Alex Jones. Super excited to have him here. Jason Jones. How are you, brother? Hey, I'm a fan of the show, so I'm, um, I'm excited to see you guys. It's good to well, be you got everything butchered on your intro, so, hey, you're part of the club. Congratulations. I'm, and I'm not a fan anymore. I just lost <laughs> I'm getting the full tinfoil hat experience, and yeah, that's great. I, it is the most <laughs> nervous part of the show. I try, I'm like, I got to get this right or else I'm going to never hear the end of it. Dude, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thank you for being so understanding of just like the chaos uh, of that is my life. So welcome, dude. Welcome. Good to be here. Um, you are, you were on Alex Jones and you yeah. were talking about how you have the uh, cure to, or the answer is it to all, um, all conspiracies. That's a very interesting uh, uh, take on that. What is your take on the I, I think you said defeat, which I found a very interesting he said, word. No, he said beats. Beats. What? Beats. What? He beats? Oh, he yeah, beats yeah, beats, beats, beats. So the beat all conspiracy, which is a no. very interesting word. Uh, well, what is that? Well, yeah, well, first of all, to be on your show and to be on Alex's is, 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 is bizarre for me and a great experience. When this whole COVID thing shut down, I'm a filmmaker. My films got slowed down, production, distribution. And a lot of my travel for my organization got shut down. And we said we want to amplify our influence. And when I tried to get COVID tested, I realized they were movie sets. And I filmed it. And it went uber viral and launched the film Your Hospital Movement. But I wrote a book called The Race to Save Our Century. Started writing it as an undergrad. I was an undergraduate. I was obsessed with conspiracy theories. I wanted to know what, what were the causes of genocide, democide, and total war in the 20th century. I got a sense that behind each of these rises to power in, in Nazi Germany or in, in, in Russia, there were, co- there were conspiracies that brought them to power. And we saw over 180 million people murdered by their own governments in the 20th century. And I wanted to order my life to prevent that from happening in the 21st. I thought, how could I use my life to try to leave my children and grandchildren and my posterity a culture of love and peace? And so I thought if I got to the bottom of these conspiracies that were out there, that then I could defeat them. But what I, I quickly understood is that there are countless conspiracies of people conspiring for power. Um, and I'll never be able to, we never know which one's going to come to the top. Yeah. And you're never going to figure them out. I, I, I realized I'm never going to. So I thought, what, how do I order my life? And I thought there has to be principles that we could advocate in society that creates a culture 
that would block sort of any nefarious plot for totalitarian rule. I love it. And so that's what I sought out to do is when I was still an undergraduate, it took me 14 years to write the book. Hey, those are the uh, good books. I know um, people writing books like every other week. And I'm like, what, what is this, a coloring book? What are we doing here? So that's great, man. You know, it's like every book takes different times to write. And it, like that means the depth of it is probably much, much more important than you probably thought when you started the book. Yeah, when I started it, I was going to be called Generation X Manifesto, the race to save our century. I was an atheist. I was an Ayn Rand objectivist. And I kind of thought I knew the answer. The problem was collectivism and totalitarianism. And the answer was radical individualism and freedom. Um, but I quickly saw that, and I had this vision. I'll, I'll finish this book a year after I graduate college. I'll be on the cover of George Magazine, you know, at the time that was there. And, and then I realized this is going to take a lot more work. And then and, and it, it took 14 years. So, um, but I really do think that in this book I wrote with John Smirak, um, the, the, the economist and historian, uh, John Smirak, I think we sort of did bury down into what caused the hell that was the 20th century for a, most of the world. And um, a lot of what we predicted in our book is already coming true. Um, and so the book, which we published in 2014, we've sold more copies since uh, the COVID outbreak than we did in the, all the time from 2014 until COVID. Well, you know, I think people are looking for answers to what's going on because once again, it's not adding up. It just doesn't add up. And the problem is, is like the, the deep state, the powers that be, uh, uh, Chomsky calls them the masters of mankind. They, they set the table uh, in which we must work from. You know, uh, a great example of that was the Las Vegas shooting. You know, they set the table that it was one shooter doing this, this, this. And then we, we have to slowly, surely debunk that instead of just starting from a blank slate. And that is always the hardest part. And that's why COVID, I think, has been such, uh, such a curse, and such, but in the same way, such a blessing to people like you, you and, and to uh, conspiracy theorists. We call them spiritual skeptics, the truth community. Uh, free thinkers, whatever you want to call them. Um, it's been a blessing because it's really opened people's eyes uh, to the fact that one, uh, so, you know, the question is, the, the thing you always heard before 9-11, when, uh, before COVID was, uh, you know, when, whether it's a Vegas shooting, 9-11, uh, uh, landing on the moon, uh, the, the assassination of JFK, whatever it is, uh, how could so many people be in on it? How many, how could so many be a, people be a part of this and not speak up? And then, like Eddie Bravo says, look at us right now. We are having mass lockdown, economic shutdown, entertainment shutdown. I mean, you were just talking about how you're moving from Hawaii because they've shut it down and you can't do your job. How is that possible? Because... As, as uh, Charlie Robinson says, the octopus of, uh, of control, it has tentacles everywhere. And it just takes one person at the top to do this domino effect on everything else. So people are just going, how is this happening? And, and it is both the best, the, you know, we're cursed to be in, in interesting times, right? And that's kind of where we're at. What I would like to get into is how you're all, 
local celebrity here started a uh, a pretty cool thing called the uh, Film Your Hospitals. To me, that's amazing. I didn't I didn't know that until I read down your breakdown. That's amazing, dude. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? It was it was bizarre. And then I'd like to get on how we destroy that octopus. But I had been traveling the country and uh, working on my movie. Uh, flew home, tried to. I, I, there, I was getting friends of mine in the administration, other places. Said you need to get home. They're about to lock the country down. So uh, first week of March, I flew back to Hawaii, and I had actually been exposed to somebody who had tested positive for COVID in late February. So what I did was I um, quarantined myself in a out of the way hotel in Hawaii till I could get a test. I was able to go to a testing site that my doctor referred me to. By the way, I had a sore throat, I had a cold, I had been directly exposed to somebody with COVID. I thought it was all a bunch of hype, but I wanted to be responsible. I saw on the news that this testing station was overflowing with people and there were lines hours long. So I was like, great, I love to read. I'm gonna bring some books. And so I brought my reading glasses, two books, thought I'd sit in my car while I irked along and, you know, inched along until I got the swab stuck up my nose. I get to the testing site. There's nobody there. I mean, nobody there. And I go to get tested and they're like, you don't meet the qualifications. I'm like, well, I have four out of five, which I, I actually had five out of five. I didn't, I put, I didn't have a fever. When I ended up going to my doctor to get tested, when they refused to test me, I actually had a fever, but they didn't even take my temperature. They just asked me if I had a fever. So I was just going to go back home, but then I saw this, this obese woman who looked like death. And they told me to go quarantine for 14 days. So this obese woman comes very like dutiful. She wants to be responsible. She wants to get tested. And she looks like she's dying. They don't test her. They tell her to go home and quarantine for 14 days. So this makes me mad. So I stay, I start filming it on my Facebook, not thinking anything. But I'm friends with Tulsi Gabbard, and she was running for president. So I texted her the card at the time she was running for president. She retweets it, saying, why can't my friend get tested? So next thing you know, it goes wild. Somebody takes my video, puts it on YouTube, gets 20 million views. Then they sink it down the memory hole. You can't find it. I can find 14-year-olds fist fighting in an alley from 2012. <laughs> right, 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 right. But I can't find my video filming a hot Chloe Shush. I can't find the video. I apologize, guys. All right, dude. I might have to turn my lap. Hold on. Yeah, I find that very interesting. And you know, on to basically take what he was talking about. uh, Eddie Bravo took it to another step. He sent all his people at dojos all over the world to go and film their hospitals, and they saw the exact same thing. I didn't know that. I mean. Huge Eddie Bravo fan, so that makes me happy. So that's what happened. I didn't know I launched this film, Your Hospital Movement, until all these radio stations and TV stations were calling me saying, you're the guy that launched the film, Your Hospital Movement. I was just being a jerk on Facebook, you know, to my friends. Like, look at this. These guys, you know, what's going on? And I didn't know. I was asking people, what's the deal? What's going on? I can't figure it out. Uh, To this day, to be honest, I don't know what the deal was. I still can't figure it out. But then I got to go on Alex Jones' show. Um, and then all these other radio and television shows. Uh, and then it really did. I think that that broke the narrative that our hospitals were overrun. Um, but then that's when I realized someone who runs a human rights organization, we work across the Middle East and in Africa. 
Our mission is to advance the interests of stateless, vulnerable ethnic and religious minorities. So we work with the Uyghur and Chinese occupied East Turkestan. We work in Africa. I work in Iraq. I know food security is a big problem. So my first thought in early, early March was, if the United States follows Italy's lead, we're about to starve the world from Bangladesh into Sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. Sort of talking about that, writing about that. And by the grace of God, that little video of mine, because it gave me so much media, I was able to go on all these big platforms and quickly turn the subject away from, yeah, I couldn't get tested, but do you know we're about to starve the world because food production is going to slow down and food uh, distribution is going to slow down and processing is going to slow down? So people on the margins of, of hunger will fall into hunger. People in hunger will fall into famine. And David Beasley from the World Food Program has since come out and said this will be the greatest year for famine since uh, World War II. They're going to blame it on COVID. It has nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with the ham-fisted response that that octopus literally got farmers all over the world off their farms, truck drivers out of their trucks, people out of food processing plants. And if you remember, they shamed food processing companies that dared stay open. Do you remember that? Yep. They shamed, it was as if the last thing in the world they wanted was people to produce, process, or distribute food. And it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking. Well, I don't know if you just saw, I don't know if you just saw, but they found uh, the, the COVID in uh, frozen foods coming in from China and Brazil and Uruguay. It hasn't came to the United States, but they're finding, they're finding the COVID in frozen shrimp, chicken. It's just a matter of time how it's going to get everywhere from China. But, dude, it is already everywhere. It's always been everywhere. It is like you could go back forever. They've been – dude, it's like it's – like, it, it is unbelievable. This, this virus has been around forever, ever, man. They've been testing animals on it forever. It's just it's, – it's I mean, I talked to somebody on the farm. like, yeah, we used to test them for COVID. It's unbelievable. And what you're talking about – is 100% true, Jason. It's just like, this is a forced crisis. They're trying to break the will of people. The Amazing Polly did a video saying that, is this just mass torture? Are they, I mean, like, we've talked about this before, about how, for lack of a better term, so we all know we're talking about lizard people, right? Whatever they are, I don't know. We're just going to use that term so we know what we're talking about, okay? Which is this super power elite group of all related to each other. They're all on the same family tree, and they feed off our negativity. And when we're in pain and we're in suffering, for some reason, they feed off that. And this is a wonderful way to do it. Johnny and I've been talking about the coin shortage in the United States. We're running out of coins. Yeah, because you're not putting them out. It's this small group of people that are doing everything. And it's exactly what Jason's talking about. It is this, this movement by this small group of people when we've deregulated it everything and uh, don't come at me libertarians because you, you got to hear what i'm saying i'm not saying that we need to have uh, listen if you took took away the, the you change the name deregulation and we put in uh precautions you know uh, uh protections stuff like that people have a much different reaction to it when we say deregulation and like i'm with you guys i do not um fee of entry that's a big thing people have a problem with fee of entry 
uh, charging people a bazillion dollars to get into stuff, uh, charging it for everything they do, there's a charge. What I'm talking about is the deregulation, let's say, of the media, so you can all understand what I'm talking about. The deregulation of the media, which has allowed four or five companies, now it's four. The only reason Fox is still in on it is because Disney didn't want to completely shatter the uh, two new, you know, uh, MSNBC versus Fox uh, narrative that's going on. So they made Fox News its own thing, even though they incorporated all of Fox. So now we're down to four groups owning all the media. They own all the banks. They own everything. How easy is it for four groups to just go shut everything down and it dominoes out? And we have these globalists right now. China came in and bought all of our meat processing plants in the United States. I think there was only a couple states that didn't allow that to happen. And this is what we're seeing. And you could get in a fight. You could be as angry as you want when I say this. But Donald Trump and his war on free trade with China is probably a big part of this. And I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that, Jason, that the Chinese and the globalists are trying to put a hurt on everybody so we don't go and change the way the things have been operating since George Bush senior has tried to push uh, globalism on everybody. Your thoughts on that, Jason? Well, yeah, I mean, I believe in free and fair trade. The of president course. says fair trade, free trade, but is it free trade? You know, I have two rules. I teach my children. Like there's two rules. Like one is we got to live small so we can live large, you know, like, this large desire for more and more things, more and more products, new, new phone, new TV, creates a demand for, we have Uyghur slaves making our Nike shoes. That's not a conspiracy theory, it is a fact. Let me ask you something, Jason, real quick on that. So yes. there are a group of people out there that believe that this, the, 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 the Muslim slave camps are, uh, uh, um, uh, U.S., uh, the military-industrial complex, U.S. Department of Defense propaganda to get us in the war with China. What is your thoughts on that? Well, there's no doubt that there might be some China hawks that are going to use the fact that China enslaves Uyghurs. They, first of all, they're occupying another country. East Turkestan is not China. So China's occupying East Turkestan. They're enslaving the Turkic people of Tur East Turkestan, and they are in concentration camps. Do I... Of course, there are war hawks that are going to use that. It's like jujitsu, right? You got it's very it's it's an art to promoting human dignity. You said that there's you said you open the show that says you like human rights activists because they're very selfish people. I think most people who claim I meant selfless. So I no, but I, I think you're right though. I think most people who claim to be human rights activists are professional virtue signalers um, that actually are loveless. And uh, so the art of sharing your life, and that other rule I give to my children is always stand with the most vulnerable person in the room. That's it. The loneliest, saddest person in the room, that's where you go stand. The Uyghur are the loneliest, most vulnerable people in the world right now. No doubt there are nefarious judo jujitsu masters out there that want to put us on our back and mount us, and they'll use the Uyghur to do it. So we have to be thoughtful in what we do. But look, those camps need to be closed and the Uyghur need to be let out. I, there, I totally is, agree with you. There's no doubt the Uyghur are in slave camps. Now, Nike's not going there and enslaving them, but they're working with companies. They're subcontracting to companies, as a lot of other companies. They're not just Nike, Adidas, and others. And, and they get the, they just want the cheapest bid. And the cheapest bid happens to be 
the, the companies hiring Uyghur slaves. So there is no free trade with China. China buys out AMC theaters and invests in films. So Top Gun, they have to digitally remove Taiwan's flag and Japan's flag from Tom Cruise's jacket. That's the influence Hollywood, uh, China's having in Hollywood. Now they're buying food distribution companies. Remember, the greatest famine in the world was caused by the Communist Party of China. 60 million Chinese starved. Why did 60 million Chinese starve? Because the government of China, the Communist Party of China, kept the Chinese off their farms. Yep. Just like now, they're keeping all of us off of our farms. I agree. I just want to say a couple of things because I think you're 100% correct. And what the critics will say, well, the U.S. does that. The U.S. occupies. We're, we're allies with Israel and all that stuff. Hey, this show completely and utterly pushes against all that. I don't like any of that. I am not into our, our foreign policy. I do not like our shock and all way of dealing with people. I do not like occupying other countries. And I, I don't think it's okay for the U.S. to do it. And just because the U.S. is doing it doesn't mean we should just be okay with China. I think there's this real narrative when people are going with TikTok that they're angry that, that we're getting rid of TikTok. Well, they're like, oh, you don't think the U.S. government is using blah, blah, blah? I don't like that either. I, I'm not, I don't understand why it has to be, if one happens, the other one should happen. None of them should happen. None of them. I don't know why we're okay with that. Well, I don't but, know Sam, but you know, I oppose the invasion of Iraq. I'm an infantry veteran. This is the shirt of my unit. I'm proud to have served in the infantry. My son fought in Syria and Iraq. I've been to Iraq. I'm in Iraq now building schools because I want to keep the promise that the, the American government made and broke. I opposed the invasion of Iraq. And at the time I said, your children, all of you war hawks that support, your children won't yep. fight. Mine will, yep. and guess what? Mine did, okay? My son fought in a war I opposed. But guess what? I also opposed the withdrawal. You break it, you buy it. And, but there is no comparison. By the way, we created a hellhole in, in Iraq. It's, it, when, I, when I walk through the cities of Iraq, which I have done, that are just mounds and mounds of rubble, that are the fruit of our failed foreign policy, it breaks to my heart. But yeah, you're right, Sam, we shouldn't be partisan about this. Um, I care so much about the vulnerable ethnic and religious minorities of Iraq. I've traveled with the Peshmerga. I've been a mile away from ISIS in war as a civilian filmmaker documenting what's happening there because I care, because you were right. But I find that people that, they supported invading Iraq when we invaded it. They get swept away in every enthusiasm. Then they supported leaving Iraq when we left. They, got, they agreed with it. Then they wanted to topple Assad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to topple Assad. I didn't want to invade Iraq. I didn't want to leave Iraq. And I, don't want to, I, I want to force our corporations to make wise decisions, ethical decisions. Do not hire producers that use slaves to make your shoes. Another the NBA's got a big problem coming up with that, brother. The NBA, and I, I have NBA in my blood. It is my bones. Patrick Ewing is my favorite player of all time. He's affected my stand-up. I love it. They have a real problem. LeBron, I wouldn't doubt right now if the ratings 
crash so bad next year, you see a movement to get LeBron out of the NBA because of those comments he made. And listen, I hate to tell everybody, but the NBA, in a weird way, they are blessed that COVID hit because it shut down a season where they were rock bottom in their ratings. And they get a they they got a little bump in their first game and it's already going back down because they made everything political and they allowed their dollars. Mark Cuban is a coward. He is a coward and he is a child and he is a hypocrite. What he said about what's going on in China and how he he doesn't get involved in domestic policy is just absolutely ridiculous. Imagine if that was said about the Jews in Germany in the 1940s and how much how what cowards and monsters we would see them at. Something is going on in in China that is wrong. And if your sneakers are being made by slave labor, you should have a real problem with that. And they're turning their head because it's dollars. This show makes a certain amount of money because we take certain stances. We could make way more money if we dance the dance, but that's not how we do it. We don't even make that much money on here. You know, I mean, like XG has to live in a food truck. That's how yeah. bad it is right now. You know, I mean, I Johnny, <laughs> Johnny has to have a flag. He's getting paid by the U.S. government to have that flag. Behind. Right. But the point is, dude, we got we got to do product placement everywhere. Dude. No, you know, you know, what's crazy, Sam, you know that you can order a T-shirt right now and then on the back you can put Black Lives Matter or whatever statement you want. You, you know, you can't put free Hong Kong. Yeah, I mean, they won't let you have that. They won't let you have that. What the fuck are you talking about? Do you fuck fuck the Chinese? Fuck the Muslims that are being in concentration camps? It's not even. It's not the Chinese. It's the government, and it's just like it's always the government. I have no problems with Israelis. I know a lot of Israelis. They're wonderful people. It's the government. I have no problems with Americans. I know a lot of Americans. It's the U.S. government. Like, and we allow this all to happen. Like, people are people wherever you go. I'm. I mean, I haven't done to the extent that you have, Jason. But I've been to the Middle East. I've been to Afghanistan. I've met those people. They're all the nicest people. People are people. Sam, can I share with you? Yeah, what was the word you used that Noam Chomsky said about the power elite? What did he call them? They're called the masters of mankind. So there's two types of people in the world. There's those who I think they're the masters of mankind and those who daydream about barbecuing at the lake with their kids and their wife. And that's it. It's the two types. You find both types in every country. When I was in Iraq, I was the only American invited to speak at the human rights conference of Iraqis. So of course, the State Department was outside State Department wanting to know who I was and why I was allowed to speak and they weren't. And um, I said, I don't know. But when I went to speak, I, I began by saying that it breaks my heart and that I want to apologize for the United States, for my citizens, uh, for the citizens of the United States, that our failed foreign policy has caused this problem because I was there at the height of ISIS at this conference. And this gentleman who looked like the stereotype of a Muslim fundamentalist, he stood up, all this garb, and he yelled at me, don't you ever apologize for the American people. We have got to know who the American people are by talking to your soldiers and the normal people. You are the most beautiful people in the world. It's your government, and your government, like our government, is no good. He yeah, got dude. it. He got it. And it I was like, this governance. man gets it. This man gets it. Jason, um, if... Hypothetically, if the United States had stayed through on its commitment in Iraq, where do you think that country is today if they had, if they had not drawn down precipitously like they did? How much different is that country now? Is it uh, 
flourishing at this point uh, uh, or are we still kind of working on the rebuild? It would have been it's drastic be there difference. Right? Longer time. We, we look, I said, if we invade Iraq, we're going to have to be there as long as we've been in Germany and Japan. Right. So we'd still be there and it wouldn't be pretty, but what wouldn't have happened is the real genocide that hit the Yazidi, beautiful people, by the way, that hit the Chaldeans and the Assyrians, a real genocide. And we didn't even talk about it. That's what I don't understand. I don't want to be a do-gooder and gallivant around the world, sticking my nose in every horrible problem that exists, right? Just like I don't want to go around my neighborhood looking through the windows to see which father's an alcoholic or beating his wife. Um, that's not our role is to, you know, but, but this isn't us being do-gooders. This was a problem that we actually created. Um, and so... We would not have seen the rise of ISIS. We would not have seen, look, there's still thousands of Yazidi women missing. We don't know where they are. We don't even talk about it. It's, it's, it's just strange to me that we don't even talk about it, that it's not even in B-17 of our papers, not once a year. Yeah. So that's a good question. I'm not saying there would be a utopia in Iraq. Um, that's why I didn't want to invade Iraq. Invade Iraq. I didn't so want to buy it. So we shouldn't leave Afghanistan? You know how Trump was trying to take 4,000 troops out of Afghanistan? You think it's if, as someone who's been in the military, you don't invade and then leave? No, I think Afghanistan and Iraq are kind of are different, um, different situations. You know, Iraq, I don't want to get into the weeds of it, but you had, you guys, I'm sure you know about the Sykes-Picot agreement and sort of how this is another conspiracy that's a fact that the borders of the Middle East after the collapse of the Ottoman Empire were literally designed to make it fragile and in constant conflict so it would be easy for their colonial masters to control. That's a yeah, fact. Dude, this is what we're talking about. I mean, that's a fact. The Sykes-Picot agreement is a fact. So then now we have to deal with that present reality. So you've got in Iraq, you've got the Kurds. The Kurds were promised independence even at the time of the Sykes-Picot agreement, but they've been a very effective, I don't even wanna say it, but Sykes-Picot agreement, they did its, it did its job. But you have the Kurds, you have the Shia, the Sunni, and so you have this, this, this is a very different situation. So I do believe we should be living in Afghanistan. Um, and I, I definitely mean, don't I, and you know this whole thing, Jason. I mean, do you buy any of this that these Taliban who want us out are making a deal with us and then just have decided, like, right when we're about to seal the deal, let's just blow something up just to piss these people off, even though we're making a deal to want to leave. I personally believe, and I'd love to hear your opinion, that this is a deep state military industrial complex sabotage of a deal to keep, and might not even just be military, industrial. It might be pharmaceutical companies not wanting troops to leave because they don't want to pay for uh, privatized military forces to protect their poppy fields. I think this is just all, I mean, and I make no um, uh I, 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 I make no, I'm not under no illusion that Donald Trump is a, a white hat for everybody. I think he's a human being. I think he's, he's a mob boss, and he, that's both good and bad. That's my personal opinion. This isn't Jason's, but this is Sam's personal opinion. But I do believe that he wants to uh, kind of minimalize our presence around the world and have to pay for all this stuff when stuff at home needs to be taken care of. What are your thoughts on all that? Like, I wouldn't put anything past them. And that's why in my book, I came up with these, what I call the five whole life principles. And yeah, whatever you want to think about Donald Trump, let's tell you, we, we, this is what we know he's not. He's not a team player. 
He is not willing to be a cog in a neoliberal conspiracy or any other kind of conspiracy. Like, you could hate Donald Trump, but you're going to have to agree Donald Trump's not going to be a cog in any man's machine. Yeah, it's a different Period. dude. It's a different. It's a different group. Joe Biden is a butler. Joe Joe Biden is a, is a water carrier. Joe Biden has never been Joe Biden's own man. Joe Biden is a team player, in the worst sense of the word. Um, Joe Biden know, is basically weakened at Bernie's right now. Can we well, all agree on that? Like it's just weakened at Bernie's with him. And how he's, uh, they're just dragging this guy around. And uh, something else is about to come. I just, I feel for the man, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, we'll go to what we know. You're talking about horrible things in, war, in conflict zones. I wrote an article, it was published um, at Steve Bannon's War Room, and where we brought to light that Joe Biden's brother's company got a $1.3 billion contract to work in Iraq. And never built anything. How, what, one point never built what? One point three billion. Oh my god! Now I believe <laughs> it's like one of those no-show jobs that the mob used to negotiate. You know, where they just don't even have to show up to the construction site. That's amazing! Wow. No. By the way, in Basra, in Basra, they got forty-six million to do a project. They didn't even send anyone to in. They didn't even hire a project manager to go and pretend to do anything. They didn't put up a porta potty. Um, you know, there's this is unbelievable to me that you would make money off of the most vulnerable people in the world. It's hard for it's hard to believe. Like I go to these countries, I see it with my own eyes, I do the research, I stare at it, and I feel like I'm lying as I say these words because it doesn't seem possible. All of us, right, we live very simple, good lives. We, we're blessed, we live simple, good lives. Like, what do I daydream about? Muay Thai and protein shakes. <laughs> Barbecue with my kids at the lake, okay? I had a new book. You know, the best day of my life was a couple weeks ago. I didn't move from my ottoman for 18 hours. I drank two bottles of champagne, was eating chocolate and reading for 18 hours. That's the perfect day, oh, ever. It'll never get better than that day. What do these, what does Joe Biden want? He can do Muay Thai and have a protein shake anytime he wants. Like, I don't know what they want. And, but you know, what you guys are doing is really changing the world because you're getting people to think and your audience, you've got Bernie bros, Trump supporters, libertarians, but what your audience has in common is they really want to know the truth. And I think they want to know the truth because they really love people. Yes. They want to make sure that what they're advocating is actually the Dalai Lama said, you know, if you can't do good, at least do no harm. And I think that's a good rule. And when you want to be active, you can do harm, more harm than good if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Yeah. So if, if you show up and see a kid wreck on his moped and you know what you're doing, you're like, I'm going to pick him up and carry him off the road. You just did more harm. You want to do good. You should have not moved the young man. So, um, well, that's what your audience has. They want the truth because they want to make sure that how they live their life is blessing vulnerable people. Imagine a man that's been wealthy and powerful since before any of us were born, has more than he could ever use, going and doing a seedy deal, making countless millions of dollars off of the most vulnerable people on earth. And let me tell you, the Iraqis, especially, I love the Kurds, I love the Yazidis, the, the people of, the, that I've met, in, Kurdistan, the Iraqis, the, uh, the, um, the, the, the Yazidi I love, and of course, the German Catholic. 
I'm did, sorry? Jason, when you went there, when you went, first went to Iraq, did you feel like you were going to feel for them like that? Did you feel like you were going to hate those people because they kind of were going to war with them and you kind of yeah, met but someone? But what did you, like, basically expect when yeah. you got there? What kind of reception? So my best friend has uh, got his PhD in Arabic, and he's worked in, in that kind of that, a certain space, you know, his entire career. Um, and is fluent in Arabic and has been in that Iraq and Syria his whole life. And he loved, so my love, I already had a love because of his love, you know, if that makes any sense. But when my wife heard my voice, when I called her from uh, Kurdistan, Iraqi Kurdistan, she said, we can't live there. We're not moving there. <laughs> you heard in my voice. Uh, there's so much like us. I got to tell you, like, I love kickboxing. That's a big sport there. And I just love them. I will tell you, uh, about thinking I was going to hate, I met with Al-Qaeda. I met with Al-Qaeda in, in Sudan, in Darfur. Really? I met with the, they're called the Janjaweed, the devils on horseback. And we went across the river. The, this was when the genocide was raging there. And the SPLA, which was a Christian Muslim freedom fighters, they brought me to the river with three of my friends. And they pulled us across on barrels. I got pictures of this. We dressed up like, you know, Muslims so they didn't shoot us from a distance. And, uh, but they pulled us across. And I thought I was going to hate these people. And it reminded me of a time I brought a friend of mine who's Jewish to meet this old man I knew that was in the SS and he thought he was going to hate him and they fell in love with each other. But I thought I was going to hate these people. And we started talking and I realized that ideology poisons beautiful people. Ideology makes good people support really, really bad things. And that these guys that were members, uh, you know, that were, that were, um, in the Janjaweed, they weren't monsters. They were, they were, no matter what you think of the US military, you know, and, and our war in Iraq, my son, my brother, me, we're not monsters. We, we were doing what our country sent us to do. Young people, they do what their, their community wants them to do. They're pious and loyal to their family, their friends, their community, their tribe. And that's what I found out. They weren't ideologues. Actually, I asked them why they were killing the Dinka. I said, my friends are Dinka, why are you killing them? And they said, you go ask them why they're stealing our, our cows. And then, then we'll, we'll give you an answer. And why we're... For them, it was very simple things. It had to do with land, it had to do with water, it had to do with cattle. And then it was knit together into an ideological genocide that was coming from outside of that community, right? It was coming from very wealthy, very powerful people that had nothing to do with this tribe, nothing to do with these men's lives. They were just instruments of something bigger that was wicked. And that's why one of my five whole life principles is subsidiarity, that power and the decision to make choices should be kept as locally as possible. Yes, dude. When power's local, you can't have tyranny. You can't have a COVID shutdown if the mayor can say, we don't have to wear masks and go to your farms. But when you have a, 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 a World Health Organization that does dictates to farmers, I have friends in Kenya who told me they're afraid to go to their farm because it might take them so long to get home and there's a $5,000 fine and a year in jail. So they're only gonna be on the farms for two hours a day. So they're not out past the curfew. When you have these sort of, these uh, dictates coming from distant, unelected, unaccountable bureaucracies that have nothing to do with your community, you get tyranny. You get, the, you get young men becoming a part of an ideological army, the John Jaweed, that just want 
raise cattle. You get American doctors or American government officials uh, advocating for policies that people starving um, in sub-Saharan Africa because of food shortages. Uh, they're not monsters, but this monstrous octopus, as you said, can strangle the world. So I say the one principle we can all agree on, whatever your ideology is, I always say think local, act local. Think global, act local. What that means, think global, act local means do what distant, unelected bureaucrats that don't know you, your neighbors, your family, or your culture want you to do. No, think local, act local. Think about your family, your friends, your neighbors. If you do that, you're actually blessing people on their side of the world too. Yes. We become a menace when we think global. That's when we Itch become a menace. off the corporate nipple. Start, stop consuming, start producing. And dude, stop, turn off, turn off the news, man. Turn it off. What should matter to you is the best way to stop what is being done by this very powerful people all around the world is to pull your, your, your attention and your energy out of the system and start working on it, what you're saying on a local level, on your block, with your neighbors, your family. Pay attention to your family. Love thy neighbor. Because when you start trying to change everything in the world, you, you, your energy gets lost. The best way to make change is from within, in my opinion. And you lead by example. Well, also, it's, it's what you can touch. It's what you, what you actually can have an effect on. Because most of those things that you hear about on the news, you can have no effect on. They're, you know, they're out of your realm of control unless you act, act locally, like you say. And then, and then everybody kind of pulling their But Does that, does their that mean you can't help another community? You want to help another community? Do what no, Jason I'm mostly does. thinking about the hysteria stuff, you know, like no, no, the I'm talking, I know, but some people are like, oh, so we're just supposed to allow this, this, and this happen? You really no. want to help? You go into that community and you make a difference in the community, Yeah, but most right? of that stuff he's taking care of, you don't hear about on the news anyway. So I, I'm really talking about mostly that, the, the mainstream nonsense. Yeah, just it's meant to get you to not focus on what really matters. And or to feel really defeated. Ma- That's really what they're trying to do is just make yeah, you feel are. like it's pointless. So you just go this home. Whole thing, this whole virus, this whole COVID thing on a, on a global scale is to break the human spirit by people like who John, are trying I to hide what Johnny you. said there? Yeah, I really like what Johnny said there. You know, they, they want to either make you feel defeated, like there's nothing you can do, or they make you feel like victory is inevitable. So there's always the two choices. Victory is inevitable or there's nothing you can do. Yes. And the result's the same, right? The result is apathy, right? You're needed. Like right now, you're needed. Unless they're whipping you up into a frenzy to advocate something really nasty. That's when you know. When you feel yourself being pushed into something, um, that's when you need to be careful. Uh, you know, these enthusiasms that we can all be swept away with. We can, I mean, I'm manipulated all the time and I'm trying to not be run guard for it, but we can be easily whipped up into an enthusiasm. Um, and now we've never been more divided as a nation, not even during the civil war, because during the civil war, you read the paper once a week, you were a subsistence farmer or building a railroad or who knows, you know, you're working a really hard job. You didn't have a lot of money. You read the paper once a week if you could read. Now we've got the phone, you know, Mm-hmm. Bing, bing, bing. We're getting manipulated, whipped into a frenzy. So I think, yeah, we just need to, um, like, like you said, Sam, disconnect from the, stop letting them whip us into enthusiasms. Know that we can actually be useful. Um, 
And then the, you know, the first whole life principle to me is the most important one. And I started as an atheist, an Ayn Rand objectivist, and I was searching for why did human beings seem so amazing? Like as an atheist, and Ayn Rand, if you're familiar with her, she t everything she writes about is the beauty of the human person. And I wanted to, I, it's self-evident, like the founding fathers said it's self-evident, but I didn't, I wanted to know the source. In the end, I became a Christian because I realized the only answer you could, I found that made sense was in the J Jewish and Christian scriptures, which is the human person is made in the image of God. And yeah. when you realize that, that there's no one more precious in the world than your neighbor, than the person you see, that everyone you see is worth more than an angel, worth more than a, than everything in the universe, that the most beautiful thing you can see in the universe is your neighbor, that they, are made a, they have an inviolable dignity and worth. And once we understand how precious the human person is, how that um, George Floyd is, that he, that he is the most precious thing in the world. The officer kneeling on George Floyd's throat, the most precious person in the world, the thing in the world. The, the, the Karen and the person Karen's yelling at, they're both the two most beautiful things in the world. Like you couldn't get on a spaceship and find anything more beautiful than a human person. I agree, dude. There's nothing you would rather see. The one thing COVID shutdown taught me is I love crowds. I love crowds. Give me as many crowds as I can. I you want baseball crowds. stadiums full, bars full. Hmm? You need to connect, man. Everybody's important. Even the crackhead who does a jump off the roof on every world star hip hop video. We're all, uh, uh, you know, in the image of God. But that that's ancient. That's across all, not Christianity, yeah. Judaism. You go deep into Hinduism. All that stuff is like, we are the image of God. We are God. We are the universe. And it's very important that people, and there's been a long game, long con to get us not to believe in that. You have some, you sent me some notes I really want to get to because I really, this conversation has been wonderful and I'm very thankful that you would spend some time with us. Um, personalism, what is that? That's what I call the first whole life principle, the first truth. That the idea that, that, that every, the human person, every human being from the Uyghur and Chinese occupied East Turkestan, uh, to all of us, we have an inviolable dignity. We're the most precious thing in the universe. Uh, that, and that's the foundation. I do a spiritual exercise when I'm in airports, which I'm a lot. Whereas I'm walking through, I just look at every person and just try to, to see that, to understand that. C.S. Lewis said that God has to put a veil in front of our face. Because if we saw each other as we are, we couldn't, every human being we met, we would fall to our knees and like stare at. So there has to be some sort of veil that's put between us Each and everyone. Each one of us is God. And that's what people, I just, the, the fight, you know, and it's just very, 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 very namaste, dog. It's all namaste. We all have different words for it, different mm -hmm. religions. But I see myself in you and you see yourself in me. And that is really the most important. And this push to put us all into little boxes has been done purposefully. So we don't understand that. I mean, How many boxes? Gay, tra trans, this, this, white, black. There's no such thing as race, right? That's not even real. And they divided us into countless thousands of little boxes when there's just persons. And it's funny. Is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I mean, Johnny, hold that thought. It's just, you know, there's this whole say, there's this meme that I saw one time. It was that billionaires billionaires pay millionaires to convince the middle class that the lower class is all their problems, you know? And that's just, it's just such the truth, man. 
It's just like people want to blame other people, that, a lot of people that they've never even met in their life for all their problems. And it's just like, it's not like that, man. And it's funny too, the race thing is where the white supremacists and the, and the racists find league. They're in common with people in Black Lives Matter. They both want, they want to make big distinctions on race and they're, and they're really meaningless when you look at it at a, you know, at a biological level. There, there are no races, like you said. It's just, it's just a really a meaningless distinction. Now, if you want to talk about cultural differences, that's something else entirely. But, but race, the, but the weapon, the weaponization of our diversity has been done on per. That's why I loved. It. I've been all over the world. I haven't traveled as much, some, but I've traveled a lot. And man, I love the diversity of this country. I love how we have all these different. We have a real melting pot, and that was like a big strength for us for a long time. But over the last couple of years, man, they have weaponized that, or in a couple of decades too, they've weaponized that. They've really tried to make it so it's like we all fight all over each other. I you know, cultural appropriation is the most biggest joke I've ever heard. That the beauty of our culture, of our country, is that we we take the. It's like J, Bruce Lee's JKD, right, man? We take the best of each of these disciplines to turn it into one amazing discipline. I'm from Hawaii. Like in the plantation days, we go to martial arts. They had camps based by race. They would have the Filipinos camp and the Japanese camp and the Chinese camp. The kids would go out of the sugarcane fields and cut a square and the Filipino kids would teach a screama to the Japanese kids. The Japanese kids would teach them judo and the Chinese kids would teach them kung fu. That's how you get kajikembo. And you know, those were the original guys that brought martial arts to the States. Yeah, you're right. But I think your audience has got to be one of the most, CNN doesn't have an audience as diverse as you. Fox News doesn't have it. And that's the thing. When you have people looking to the transcendent truth, it attracts across. Um, that's why I call the beautiful people, the beautiful tribe. People that don't see all this. You know, my kids are mixed. Uh, my, my oldest two children are half me, half Pacific Islander. And my daughter has a company that makes moo-moos. Um, yes. And you'll hear these, she, you know, she doesn't look really white. Some days if she's tan, she doesn't look white at all. And people will say, you know, but they'll say to her, white women will say to her, um, you shouldn't let me wear this because it's cultural appropriation. <laughs> and my daughter has to tell her, do you know the muumuu was what the Polynesians took from the white women from New England in the early 19th century? And the Hawaiian aloha shirt came to Hawaii from Japan. It's so beautiful to mix our cultures. It, it, I mean, it, again, done on purpose by people at the top to, to make us start to think or, or, or brainwash us into a, a, a way of thinking that isn't what the universe wants. Yeah, no. That's my opinion. So, you're, uh, dude, you're wonderful. I love this. Transcendental moral order. What is that? Transcendent moral order is that we have to acknowledge there's a law above governments, public opinion. There's a truth above the mob. There's a truth above the, the most powerful state in the world. And the most beautiful thing is to find that truth and stand with it when no one else is. All of our heroes throughout history, our civilization was founded really on, you know, Jesus and Socrates were murdered by the governments, the religious leaders, the mob. 
And the oh, people, don't even stop there. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, JFK. Yeah. I mean, we can go on like all, all these guys. Ma- Malcolm X that comes out that the FBI and the NYPD took him out. I mean, we could just keep going on to on anybody who gets too big and and scares them into a of thinking in a different way than they want. They for the longest time have taken them out. I, I you know, I, what like, do we I, love about Malcolm X? What do we love about Gandhi? What do we love about Jesus? They were looking for a truth, not looking to the mob. They didn't care what the mob thought. They loved other people so much, they're like, kill me. Yep. And, and so I think that all of us should strive. It's hard, but we should all want to be those who order our life to a transcendent truth, um, not, the, not whatever the mob is chanting at the time. I couldn't agree more, dude. And, so, and then we have subsidiarity. Subsidiarity is this idea that Think local, act local, that we need to pull power away from distant, unelected bureaucracies. All the greatest tragedies of the 20th century were made possible by the destruction of intermediary institutions of power and influence. Break down the family, the neighborhood, the community, the township, the county, the state, and only have distant, powerful, unelected bureaucracies. Then that's how you get Nazi Germany. That's how you get concentration camps, gulags. That's how you get everyone in the world on house arrest. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? Yeah. Unbelievable. That's how you get a famine. The breakdown of subsidiarity. And that's something all of us can do. Like Johnny was saying, what can we do? All of us can say, this is my town. <laughs> I'm not going to allow the doxing and destroying of people who want to go to work. And I think all the evidence shows that we're safer at work. We're, our kids are safer at school. And the world is definitely safer. In Hawaii, we've had epidemic suicides. Hawaii had one week where they had more suicides in one week than the previous year. Two of them were young, single parents. They They don't talk about this. They would get a couple in LA a week. There was a time they were getting six a day. Six a day. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but in my own family and friend community, the amount of drug overdoses that have happened to my close family members and friends over the past four months is really un, it's, it's really even hard for me to process. Two weeks ago, I had a friend lost two of her sons the same time to drug overdose. Oh man. Lost his son. Another friend lost his son. And I think all of our families are feeling this, but they don't link any of this to COVID. Um, you've talked so much about the opioid crisis, um, which is just ridiculous, which is completely unnecessary. And, 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 and just state sponsored. I mean, like, the people who make the drug laws are also the ones who make it and who are important to drugs. Yeah. I went to a conference on um, opioid addictions, just addled my family. And I went to a conference on opioid addiction and I was really excited to go and advocate for uh, decriminalization of marijuana is a good way to, uh, cause you know, for t- a lot of these veterans coming back to get addicted to opioids, you move them to THC and it's just amazing what happens. The whole conference was about how bad marijuana was. It had nothing to do with opioid. It was labeled an opioid addiction conference, but then they actually, all they talked about was we have to make sure we don't decriminalize marijuana. And I, and, and I was the only guy there not a psychiatrist. And I brought up all these studies. Um, and my buddy, who's a big psychiatrist in Hawaii, said he's not had one suicide yeah. um, <laughs> of anybody that he's moved from, opi- from those powerful dr- drugs to THC. He's, never, he's not had one suicide. He said he used to get suicides every week of his patients. Now, not one. And it's unbelievable because, uh, you know, what we've seen right now is, uh, you know, I believe, dude, 
fractional reserve banking, which is the global system right now that the very powerful masters of mankind have put into place, which is they can, they can loan out $10. I don't even think they need to have a dollar now. That's the new rule. They don't even have to have a dollar. They can just loan out this money. They can make it up out of nowhere. And that's done purposefully so that they could imagine the world is a monopoly game and you're the banker and you can just hand funny money to anybody you want. And that's what they're doing. And what they've done is completely and utterly uh, uh, bribed the entire system and bought out everybody. And now we have the, what we're really finding out right now in this COVID thing is that a bunch of people who are, are just following the rules are really good at regurgitating talking points and just are, are just uh, are, will do whatever they said are the ones who get promoted. And they have no problems, whether they're doing this consciously or unconsciously, to push a narrative of, uh, of that, of those who uh, control the money. You know, like those who control the gold make the rules, right? That's kind of the, the rule. You know what's sad though, Sam? I, 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 because of my involvement in the movie business, I've had a little bit of success. And in politics, I've gotten to be in the rooms with these people. I've been in a party with Harvey Weinstein for 30, I talked to him for 30 oh. minutes. Didn't know who he was. My buddy got me away from him and said, who do you think you are monopolizing Harvey Weinstein for 30 minutes? I thought he was just some, um, I'm like, who brought their dad to the party? This poor guy <laughs> must be alone. I've been around these people. They're not happy. And they're their first victim. They are their own first yep. victim. And, and it's happening right now I, with, with some of the people in my life. They put all their money, all their eggs into one basket and tried to, like, they thought success and, and an IMDb page is going to bring them happiness and their name at the beginning of every show. And guess what? They're going crazy right now. Well, also, They're I don't know. Their skull. Did you guys ever see that movie Swimming with Sharks? Because it's actually kind of a realistic uh, way of describing. There's just no joy in like those workplaces in hollywood the people who work there it, it's just like they're being their souls are just ground down and there's so much pressure on them to you know to put out i mean it i don't know it's a wonder anything creative ever gets made at all well, in that there's in a that reason why nobody's watching it anymore johnny and but what you know see- what i mean you just they, they take they're all really self-serious they take themselves very seriously they're not you know and and there's this they're obsessed with this uh, hierarchy on sets and and in in those in the corporate structures of the networks, and and what you I, see, John, we've got to overthrow is, that. It's, we, there's got to be a better way. Well, to, the, the to way to do it is what we're talking about. You guys are show. doing it right now, though, right? You yeah. guys yeah. are detached from the system. And Johnny, what you see is that these people come up. They see how the their superiors treated people, and they start to believe mm. that's how you treat people. Yeah. But the, some You're of the right. most beautiful people I've met in the film industry are some of the most successful. And it's, it's as if they're almost like they become Buddha. Like they've been through all, they just, they've been through everything. And then they, they become real treasures, the real gems of people. Um, but the ones, the way my buddy, I have a buddy uh, who was very successful, very young. And I asked him if he's ever feels like he'll be attracted to it again. And he said, you know, these greyhounds, when they race these tracks, they chase a fake rabbit, a mechanical rabbit. He said, every once in a while, a rabbit, the, the greyhound will break and a greyhound will bite it and it'll cut its mouth and it'll bleed. Those, those, those greyhounds, those dogs never race again because they realize they were chasing a lie. 
He said, Oh, snaps. He goes, who I feel sorry for. He goes, I will never chase that rabbit again because it's a lie. He said, I feel sorry for the people that chased that rabbit their whole life. And I said to him, I said, brother, what about those who bite it time after time? He yeah. said, I know. <laughs> I mean, they're not even as smart as a greyhound dog. A dog just has to bite it once. But how many people, they bite that dog, that rabbit, rip it, take it home, and they're still chasing the rabbit the next day. And, I don't, and, and that's just, yeah, my heart, my, my heart actually breaks for them. And I don't understand it. So tell us. Real I have quick. seven kids, so like I you was a did. dad at eighteen. I was a high school dropout. Dude, you have yeah. your own. Uh, you have your own basketball team plus two people coming off the bench, dude. So that's very. I have grandkids, right? So look, I was, I was uh, dropped out of high school the day I turned seventeen, joined the army because I was last in my class in the troubled youth. So the day I turned seventeen, I went to the army. I was that soldier you hear about. I went to Hawaii. Bing, bang, boom. I'm a dad. Um. I've, had, I've been a father since I was 18, and I think that was my blessing because I had to get serious about life. I wanted to give my children something I didn't have, plant them in soil that I wasn't planted in. Things were real. And I learned as a very young man that there's nothing better than sitting at, lying in, and, and, you know, on your couch at night with your baby on your chest watching Johnny Carson. Like, it will never be better than that in life. And so, yeah, I'm so grateful for that experience. What would you I'm, say to someone who is in the position you were in high school uh, that may be watching this, what, what can they do? Uh, you know, cause I mean, is your, your advice probably wouldn't be to have a kid right now. Uh, no. I'm guessing what, what no, would you say you to them? Though? Kid, I think man up and be a father, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I be wouldn't... a father, dude. That's what I've learned. Uh, yeah. I'm going to be honest with you, man. Uh, and I want to hear your thought. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that is, uh, you know, having kids, uh, has been really uh, eye-opening for me, and uh, and I love my children so much. And then when I see that some people like have kids and they don't just like t- do whatever they can to make sure these kids have the greatest lives ever, it's just it's shocking to me. It's shock. Yeah. And you always see w- uh, single moms getting shit, and I'm like, why are we giving single mom shit? The people we should be giving a lot of crap to are these dads who just take off and don't, don't put in their time. Listen, for whatever reason, that you are where you are. This happened, and guess what? Your job now is to uh, rate. These are your genes, man. Single moms are the rock stars of our culture. First, I mean, and like hey, we're going to get people going it. nuts. Sorry, yeah. Jason. I just want to say this. We're going to get people going nuts. Oh, the, the single mom, blah, blah, blah. They, they shouldn't have done that. It's like, dude, things happen in life. Things happen. And you know what? They, want, they brought the kid and they brought a kid into the world. And guess what? They're accepting the responsibility of taking care of that child. And I, I applaud them. And if I could help them, I would love to, okay? I mean, it's just the truth. So, I mean, go on, Jason. I'm sorry to cut you off. It just because well, I know what, what they're going to well, say. What was my advice? Like, look, you know, when I was, uh, I always wanted to be a teacher because I came from a very chaotic, my mother had me when she was in high school. My dad left in the military and was gone. My mom was married a lot and divorced a lot. So I was a bad student, partly because of the chaos in my environment. And, um, but partly because I have dyslexia and ADHD, whatever that is, I think they're superpowers. So I would say that's my advice, Johnny. If you're not doing good in school, you probably have learning abilities, like you're dyslexic, which to me is a superpower. ADD is a superpower. Means you're a Ferrari placed on a country road told to drive 20 miles per hour. Once you get out of school, you can let it rip. 
you know, once I got out of school, I was a, a very good college student. It was, you know, I got out of the army, went to college. So when I meet these young high school students that are struggling and uh, they tell me they have ADD, I'm like, what ADD means is you are a Ferrari placed in a 20 mile per hour speed limit. Like you yeah. will excel in the world. And if you have dyslexia, what that means is you have to solve some, life is kind of a complex problem, especially school, public school. You've gotten very good at solving problems in a unique way. You're going to be very valuable. Um, if you come from a broken home and you've had a traumatic childhood, you've got the gift of empathy. You can see things in other people that people will miss. It'll make you a good, kind, gentle person. So, you know, I don't understand. I look back to, I never doubted that I wouldn't live a good, beautiful life. I always had this vision. My daydream was to create an ordered home for my family that I would create. That was my dream since I was like six. I wanted to have a peaceful, joyful home. Um, you know, and every teacher I had, I was a very good athlete, but would tell me what a loser I was or how dumb I was or how lazy I was. I don't understand how teachers in the 70s didn't have empathy to understand kids came from different backgrounds, but it is what it is. Would you? That young person and everyone's telling you that, man, you're a treasure. This is a gift. Jackie Chan and his autobiography called his 10 years of formal schooling, the 10 years of darkness. <laughs> Those 10 years of darkness for Jackie Chan gave him what he had in him to be Jackie Chan, right? And um, I think the swans, uh, the kids that don't do good in school many times are swans flying with ducks. Hey, one of those high school kids that maybe that had ADD or something, I know you joined the military and it made you a better man. You had a good experience. Would you recommend joining the military like right now? An 18-year-old kid comes out, you look at him, you know he's not meant to go to college. What do you tell him? No kid, though. Just, just basically, what does he do? I would, at some kids, I would tell yes. Some kids, I would say no. And really, for me, I get a lot of people saying, should my son go in the military? I'm like, no. The military, to me, is an elevator. It's going to take you up or down faster than you would get there on your own. You know, you can make some mistakes as an 18-year-old civilian that won't even get you a night in jail, that if you make in the military, will get you seven years in a military prison. Damn. Um, you know, you can make some mistakes. You sell weed as an 18-year-old to your friends. That's one thing. You sell weed okay. to some kids, some guys in your unit, and mm -hmm. CID gets you. That's another story. And I've seen this happen to people that I love. So... I think you join the military uh, out of a, uh, and this is not why I joined, but um, I joined because I got myself into a pickle. Um, but you should join the military out of a love for your family, your friends, and your country, and you're willing to die uh, on behalf of your country's defense. And you want to gain an experience so that you're a good citizen and speak wisely on foreign policy and the use of the military in the future. Uh, and if that's why you want to join the military, then you should join the military. If you're going for college or benefits or to get your act together, that shouldn't be the main reason. It could end in catastrophe. I think you should go out of a, of a severe sense of commitment. You're writing a check that's saying payable up until my life. I had an experimental vaccine that I didn't have a choice to take Damn. and received a letter saying don't ever donate blood or bone marrow again. <laughs> so there's that. So um, you know, that's the kind of check you're writing when you join the military. I want to ask you one last thing. A humane economy. You kind of sent this. This is the last point you wanted to talk about. Uh, what, what does that mean to you? Because I believe that's 100% what we have to get to. 
with this cutthroat scumbag thing that we're doing right now. Like capitalism is great. Cronyism is just disgusting. And so what's your thoughts on uh, a humane like economy? Put it, that's what a humane economy is. It's recognizing that we live in a series of commonwealths. Um, so it's a free market set within commonwealths. One commonwealth I have is my family. Um, one commonwealth I have is I want to be a good steward of wealth for my family. I want to work hard to care for myself, my children, and my posterity, my in-laws. Also, I want to be responsible to my neighbors, my family, my friends. So it's a free economy set within the responsibility of a commonwealth. The understanding that, that we are members of communities and we are privileged. If, you know, if, if you're clever, if you're hardworking, if you're smart, you're, you, but you have to be a steward of that wealth. You should steward wealth. Every dollar is a soldier you should put to work. Put to work for your good, the good of your family, your friends, your neighbors, and your community at large. The, and that goes with the final principle, which is solidarity. Solidarity is a, is a radical commitment to living a life in service of the vulnerable. And the vulnerable doesn't mean poor. You could be poor and very strong. You could be working class and be very strong. And you could be, you could, if you're a very wealthy person, wealthy Jew in, in, in Paris in 1940, you're vulnerable. If you're Chinese in Indonesia, you could be wealthy and you're vulnerable. So it's not just about wealth, um, but it is about, and again, that's that jujitsu of it all. You have to be thoughtful and serve the vulnerable around you. Is it your friend who is the biggest realtor in town, but you know, he took Vicodin out your, this happened to me. He took Vicodin out your uh, uh, medicine cabinet. Now I know my buddy's vulnerable. He's got, he's dealing with something, right? Came over to my house, went to the medicine cabinet. Okay, I got to live with my brother now. I got to be in service and solidarity with him. Um, so it's just a radical commitment to living a life in service of the vulnerable. It's natural when you find out your friend won the lottery, that's the guy you want to call. But don't call him. He doesn't need your call. He's good. It's your friend. You found out his wife left him for his boss. Yeah. That's the guy you got to call. So order your life to, to, to serve the vulnerable. And that doesn't mean do-gooderism. That just means, is your brother having a drug habit? He, he's having trouble kicking? That's the one you want to hang out with, even though you might want to, you know, hang out with your other brother who things are going great with, because this is going to be a headache. Yeah. But solidarity is just a radical commitment to standing with the vulnerable around you. Yeah. Wow, man. Great. Great. I would, I have a podcast called zero. It's a spiritual podcast. I'd love to get you on that sometime. Talk to you about that and what that's about. And, um, man, great, great, great episode, man. I'm really happy that we made it happen. I know we had a, you know, we had to move it around and I'm so thankful that you were kind enough to work with us. So thank you, Jason. Jason, can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yeah, well, my or uh, movie to movement, movie to movement.com is my movie website. We have a new movie called Divided Hearts of America, starring Benjamin Watson, tight end for the New England Patriots. Where we explore what's dividing America and we reveal the secret that will unite us as a country. That will be on pay-per-view everywhere September 14th. Uh, the is that the secret to defeat uh, conspiracies too? And, yeah, the secret to unite us is seeing people as, as images of God. That's the secret. I agree. And then man. the Vulnerable People Project, you go to greatcampaign.org. You can see the work we're doing uh, to defend the most vulnerable communities in the world. And then I have a podcast. Can I say the name of my podcast? Hell yeah, you can. 
the Jason Jones Show. It's the Damn. biggest podcast in the world from the west side of Oahu. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, much respect. That's that's where you can find me. Jason loved it, man. You are you have an open door. Anytime you want to come on and talk, please let us know. Uh, you're wonderful. I appreciate you. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Hey, dude, your dog's welcome too, dude. Tim Fall hats for the dogs, brother, for the dogs. It's all good. Uh, don't hang up, but we're going to end the show, but I just want to talk to you real quick. I appreciate you guys. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Xavier Guerrero. Uh, great show. Again, uh, uh, August 22nd, we will be on the corner of Hollywood and Vine and we will be uh, marching to protest against child sex trafficking. And then later that day, we will be at the, uni- the world-famous comedy store doing another live tinfoil hat from there. So thank you guys very much. We love you very much. We appreciate you. We appreciate all the kind words. Hope you enjoyed this. Got a lot from you and we'll, a lot from it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Uh, namaste. I love you all. And uh, take care.